Hello, welcome to Know the Faith, Defend the Faith. My name is William Hemsworth. Great to be back with you all today. Uh, my guest, popular author, speaker, uh, pilgrimage leader, Steve Ray. Steve, great to be back. You have on the show. How are you? Thanks. We're getting to, getting to be pretty good friends here on this over uh, Zoom. <laughs> uh, the pleasure's all mine. Hopefully one day we can meet in person. Once I'd we love get... <laughs> that. That'd be great. <laughs> so our topic, our topic today, everyone, is I'm sure if you've been Catholic for any amount of time, you've heard it's you get the question are you born again so why are catholics asked are you born again and where does it come from they're asked that question because they don't know how to answer it it is a fish hook it's one that the evangelical will go and they'll catch you with it and you can't get away and you can't and you also don't know how to answer it and how to pull that barb out so when I was an evangelical, we used to go door to door or we would do evangelization. And one of the questions you'd ask Catholics going to heaven, that was one that they don't know how to answer either. And the other one was, are you born again? Because they would say, well, I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'd say, well, I know you're Catholic. That's precisely why I asked you if you were born again. And you don't know how to answer that, do you? Because your pastors never taught you that. You go to your parish, you go to your Catholic church every week, and he tells you all these things you got to do, do, do to be saved. But he never told you about being born again, that if you are born again, you're a brand new creation in Christ. You go to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And then the Catholics kind of will, will um, and then you quickly open the Bible and you read to them from John chapter 3 which says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, you are a teacher. And Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says in verse four, well, I'm too old, too big. I can't, how can I get back in my mother's womb and come out again? What are you talking about born again? And Jesus chides him. And he says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you will never see the kingdom of God. So he ties being born again to water and spirit. Now, what did Jesus just do? This is John chapter 3. What do we hear about in John chapter 1? That Jesus had gone down to the Jordan River. He had gone into the water, and the Spirit came down as a dove. Water and Spirit. Nicodemus should have known this. It was on the headlines of the Jerusalem Post. Everybody knew it. Everybody was reading it that day in the paper and on the Internet. Jesus goes down to the Jordan River, and by the way, the Gospels tell us that all of Jerusalem went down to hear John. So this was no hidden type thing. This was something all of Jerusalem went down. That's a 20-mile walk, by the way. You start at 3,000 feet above sea level, and you go down to the lowest place on the face of the earth. If Mount Everest is the highest, John was baptizing at the lowest place, which is 1,250 feet below uh, sea level in the Jordan Valley. So they had to not only walk 20 miles to get down there to where Jesus was getting baptized, but then they had to walk back up 4,250 feet in elevation, back 20 miles to the top of Jerusalem. So all of Jerusalem went down. This was not a hidden event. People knew what John was doing. Jesus was already, I think, probably not known like he's going to be, but it was enough to be newsworthy. And... So Jesus had just gone down into the water. The dove comes down, and then Jesus says to Nicodemus, water and spirit is how you're born again. He winks his eye at him and says, remember me yesterday down at the Jordan River? That's what it is, water and spirit. Now, 
I'll end with this and then we can dive into that a little more. When people ask me now if I'm born again, they don't know who I am and they don't know that I used to be an evangelical Protestant that asked that question too. And they say, Steve, are you born again? And I say, yes, I'm born again the Bible way. It's interesting. I could, I remember going up to people in the parking lot and asking that question. You know, are are you born again? And then, you know, of course, they scatter off, run off, <laughs> or or you get the blank looks like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So well, I guess, gave you the right to approach me and ask me a personal question like that. Who are you? <laughs> right. So, and and I know between Catholics and Protestants, it's a case of semantics in some ways. So, can you go over that? What a Protestant may mean by born again, and what a Catholic may mean by born again, like you said, born again the Bible way. Well, if you if you play the, along with them when they say you need to be born again and say, well, how do I get born again? They will usually say you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and ask him to come into your heart. And if you go along with them further to the point of compliance, and they'll show you some Bible verses, especially the one in John chapter three, they won't emphasize the water and spirit, though they'll emphasize just the born again, then they'll take you to Corinthians, I can't think of the verse right off uh, where it's located, I'm getting old, I guess. But it says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Then you go to that verse, and you say that once you become this new creation, once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord, say so they jump from places. They don't ever deal with context. Because mm -hmm. if they dealt with context here, they'd have to deal with what's water and spirit. But they quickly jump to Paul, who says that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. All this, what's old has passed away, all your old habits, all your old bad way of thinking, your vices, it, you, you get a brand new start. And, and the Protestant also, when they get a Catholic to pray this prayer, oftentimes what the Catholic is really doing is opening their life up to the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time. And many of them get this flood of emotion and they feel like a new creation along with the kind of the priming of the pump with the uh, evangelical, you know, they, they kind of get the motion going sometimes like that. Right. And especially in a meeting where they got the music playing and everybody's in a lather, come forward and accept Jesus and you'll be born again. Oh, you know, even you people feel that way at rock concerts too. I mean, it's the music. It's the, you can uh, simulate the Holy spirit sometimes at a good rock concert. And, and but they, the uh, Catholic then will maybe feel this, new sense of joy or euphoria and then they're convinced they're born again which immediately then makes them doubt and question everything they learned as a catholic and makes them now become hostile many times to the catholic church and in order they now join this new club and one of the reasons that catholics that leave and join the new club of protestantism are so vicious at times and anti-catholic is because they're still trying to prove to their new club how much they really did leave the old club if that makes sense now being born again what happens when this experience takes place i use the story of a man who wants to rent a room out of his house and he puts a sign up room to rent and God comes by, knocks on the door. He says, I'd like to rent that room. Can you show it to me? So guys takes him upstairs, a nice room there. And God says, I like what I see. I'll take it. But I'd also like to have this room over here. And the guy says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm only renting one room. You can have that. Don't get greedy. 
He said, okay, well, if you ever change your mind, let me know. So later on, the guy needs another $100 a month. And he says, this isn't, he's not so bad a tenant. Maybe I'll just uh, let him have that room too. And God says, that's very nice. I'll take it. And uh, I'd also like these rooms if you ever would like to give those up too. Pretty soon, God's got the whole house. And the guy realizes with God living in the whole house, there's much more joy. The house is bigger. It's more joyful. It's lighter than it was before. The, the analysis is in our lives, we have rooms too. And many of us as Catholics, we give God this room, but we're not going to give him this room because that's my favorite sin. And this is my way of doing things that I've always, we've always done it this way. And I'm not going to go getting religious or I'm not going to. And what happens is when that Catholic hears about being born again and giving your life to Jesus, what well, in a way it's a, it's a renewal. It's a reformation. It's a, um, uh, there's another a revival in a sense. All of a sudden, he's opened the door like he hasn't before. And Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he, he senses it. He knows it's there, and he feels now he's been born again. It's not the biblical meaning of born again. Born again in the Bible has a definition. It has a biblical meaning in the context, and it's water and spirit. The Protestant piggybacks off that to a, a unique uh, ethereal kind of a surreal experience and they said that's what happens when you get born again that's the misunderstanding of it okay. next we can discuss what it really is born again right so how should a catholic respond to that question i was at a dinner one time some friends when i first became catholic they invited me over for dinner and they're a good Catholic couple, well-known. And they also invited a Protestant Baptist pastor and his wife, but they didn't tell me in advance. Oh, they're, a, they're trapping you. <laughs> they set me up. So we walked in ready to have dinner with, you know, another couple, figured it'd be another Catholic couple. But here's this guy. He walks in and I see him put the Bible on his lap under the tablecloth. And I knew immediately what was going to happen. That couple had invited the two of us over because they knew that we would start fireworks and they weren't disappointed. As soon as we were starting our salad, the man says to me, Steve, are you born again? And I said, yes, I'm born again the Bible way. They're not ready for that answer. You know, back in those days, if you were in the parking lot and you asked somebody, are you born again? And they said, I'm born again the Bible way. It would have thrown you for a loop. You wouldn't have been quite sure what to say. Exactly. <laughs> and especially then if they laid it on you that they were a Catholic and they were born again the Bible way, which implies that you're not born again the Bible way, you. So this guy asked me if I'm born again, and I said, yes, I'm born again the Bible way. And, I, and he says, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But I said, let's first hear how you say you're born again. Since you asked the question, you want me to respond in a negative that I'm not, so you can tell me how to get there. He says, okay, um, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You believe in him and accept him into your heart. And I said, where do you find that in the Bible? There's no verse in the Bible that says I have to accept him as my personal Lord or Savior, nor that I have to ask him into my heart. There's nowhere that has a sinner's prayer that you would like to lead me in now. There is no, where do you find the sinner's prayer in the Bible or that you are supposed to pray a sinner's prayer? So then I said, let's look at it this way. God is really kind of boring. 
he does things the same way all the time. He knows how to do it right, so he does it the same way all the time. It gets predictable. When he wants to start something new, he does it with water and spirit. The first two verses of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and water covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. First two verses of the Bible, you've got water and spirit, and what does he do? From that chaos, he forms land and animals and people. Something new got started from the Spirit hovering over the water. Now we get another new something. Noah is the only man that walks with God. Everybody else is a sinner, so God's going to save him. And how does he do it? Through water and spirit. He builds a boat, big boat, and says that he is saved through the water. And what do we see fly over top of the, uh, the ark when it was done? A white dove. So again, you've got water and spirit. And I didn't make that up because Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, as Noah and his family were saved through water, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Now, that's a verse I never knew was in the Bible when I was a Baptist. I don't know what I, well, how do you deal with that? There's, since then, I've gone back and looked at theology and commentaries, and people bend over backwards and twist the Bible like a rubber nose to deal with that verse because it doesn't say what they like they want it to say. So Peter says that baptism now saves you corresponding to Noah, something new. Even the Jews call Noah the second Adam. Why? Because God is starting over again. He's starting a new humanity, wipe the sinners away, and starting with a new humanity with Noah starting over again. So he's, it's a new creation. Even the Jews call him that, the new, the new Adam. Now, there's another new one, too, and I brought it up with this guy. I said, in the, also in the book of Exodus, we see the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, and God's going to deliver them from the land of Egypt, and he takes them through the Red Sea. And what was over top of them when they went through the Red Sea? The Spirit of God in a pillar of fire. So here again, you've got them going through the water with the Spirit. And I'm not making that up either, because St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, I'll summarize it, as the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, water and spirit. So you have been baptized into Christ. Now we get to the prophets. They all say that the new covenant is going to be, you are going to have a new, uh, you are going to be sprinkled clean with water and a new spirit will be put within you. I think it's Ezekiel 35, 20 says that. So the prophets are already telling you that the new covenant is going to be water and spirit too. Now we get to Jesus who goes down into the water and the spirit comes down. Now things are starting to congeal. The jello is starting to set here. We can see what's happening. And there's a trajectory to this. Day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching. And everybody says, Peter, we've sinned. We've done wrong. What should we do? And Peter says, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and ask him to come into your heart. This is the first Holy Ghost gospel message ever preached. And Peter did not, by the way, say that. Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Repent and be baptized? That's something you have to do. Where's the faith alone? Right. This is water and spirit again. Now, Paul is on the road to Damascus. He gets knocked off his high horse. 
he's groveling around in the dust. Some little guy drag, takes him by hand into Damascus, and I've been there, by the way. And Ananias says, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, why do you tarry? Come on, get with it. Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon his name. Paul also did not say to get born again by asking Jesus to come into your heart. He says, repent and be baptized, calling and be washed with water, washing away. The water of baptism washes away your sins? This is what Ananias says in the book of Acts. So the trajectory is, this is a whole thing of water and spirit, is water baptism. And then in Titus, he says that he says that you were washed with the washing and renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's also, that's their way of describing what happens when you're baptized. You're you are washed by the renewal, regenerated by the washing, and you are renewed by the Holy Spirit. So you have even uh, Paul then explaining it even further. And Romans chapter one, do you not know that those who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ? He's not talking about a spiritual baptism or a going forward at a Holy Ghost gospel meeting under the big tent when the got preacher comes up from Tennessee and says you got to be born again. It's not what this is not what it's talking about. When you have been baptized, everybody knew what that meant. And then you take it even further, and I'll quit. I know I'm talking too much here, but when you take the trajectory further, we start with Genesis, go all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets and the gospels and the epistles. Then you get to the early church. And the early church the apostolic fathers, those who were trained and taught by the apostles, they said, we still had the words of the apostles ringing in our ears. You are born again through water baptism. And Augustine said, who would be so evil as to forbid an infant from being born again through water baptism? Right. So we're born again through baptism, like you said. What about those who say, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. The catechism is very clear that baptism is the normal means of salvation, but God is not bound to his sacraments. I'll get that verse while we're going along here, but God is not bound to the sacraments. He has the sacraments and he, I see right here, but he is not bound to them. In other words, as the creator of the sacraments, that's his normal way of having people get saved, but he's not bound to that. Um, and sacraments are necessary right here it goes god has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism but he himself is not bound by his sacraments he can work outside of them i would say this the way that i normal way i would get from here to wherever you live if i'm coming to visit you i get on an airplane where do you live by the way it's eastern time uh, tucson arizona two no see now i <laughs> the normal way for me to come visit you would be to fly right right so god established the normal way for me to get to william's house is to fly there but god, I, I can do other means too i could walk i could drive a car i could take a bus or a train so even though there is one main way of doing something that god has established he can do it through other means as well and the church teaches also i'll go to this one three forms of baptism. The church has always held the firm conviction that those who suffer death for the sake of the faith without having received baptism are baptized by their death. They are baptized into the faith by their death. In other words, 
I'm in a situation where I hear the gospel, I believe, and I say, let's get me baptized. But in the meantime, I get shot and killed. I die without it. I am baptized by my own death. This is called the baptism of blood. There's another one called the baptism of desire. The thief on the cross did not have an opportunity to be baptized. Jesus, who had said that you need to be born again through water baptism, and then, by the way, when he got done say, doing that, that says the next thing he did is went down to the Jordan River and he was baptizing, not him, but his disciples. So the whole context is Jesus goes into the river, tells down in the water, the spirit comes down. Then he tells about being born again. And then he goes down to the river and he's baptizing people. The whole context is about water baptism right there. If you read the context, which Protestants don't. And so then if that water baptism is not available, if you die before you get a chance to be baptized, then you're baptized by your desire. And if you are baptized, if your blood is shed, uh, you are baptized by your blood. So the church said there's three, by water, by blood, or by desire. Okay, great. Now I know on your website, you'll be putting up a blog post about you know, being born again. Um, can you maybe give us a glimpse into that post? Well, what I did is I put up in the post a uh, kind of the whole progression that we just talked to. The first creation uh, of, uh, the, of the water with a spirit hovering over the water of creation. And I do Moses, uh, Noah. Then I do Moses going through the Red Sea. Ezekiel, who says that uh, what it's going to be sprinkling with clear water and his spirit will be placed within you, water and spirit. And then I go to Jesus. So I go through these series of things and I give the catechism paragraphs and the verses. So this will be up Friday morning when you have this uploaded. So people can go to my blog, catholicconvert.com. And if they liked what we're talking about, and where was that? He said those verses so fast, I didn't get them. Well, I, I put them down here for you so that you will have them. And I'm going to make sure I add the one about... Uh, uh, th that God is not bound to his sacraments and the three forms of baptism. I'll make sure that's up there too. Okay. And I'll, I'll link that in the comments on the, in the notes. Now, one other thing before I let you go, uh, in January, you're hosting a Bible conference. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes. I'm going to have a lot more information on this on my website soon. We're just getting it developed. We're going to have 50 plus speakers. I've already got commitments from Scott Hahn. Looks like Jeff Cavins is going to do it. The names are uh, the who's who of Catholic Bible study and apologetics. It's really quite uh, an amazing group. Marcus Grody just agreed to do it, who's on the journey home on EWTN. Uh, it, it just uh, a great group of people. I've already got probably half the inv speakers invited have already agreed to come on. And we're going to be doing everything Bible for the Catholic. Where did the Bible come from? What's an overview of the Bible? It's a big, scary book. I'm afraid of it. How do I study it? What, are there good Bible study organizations and groups? We're going to have all of those speakers explaining all of the different Bible study programs that they have developed. There's, there's no competition here. We're all, this, this is going to be for everybody. So Catholics can come to this from January 8th through 10th and have everything Catholic. It'll be virtual so they can click on, I want to go into this session and listen to Scott Hahn, or I want to go in this session and listen to Steve Ray. Um, we got some wonderful speakers coming. And then if they want to have that for themselves all the time, not just free for the weekend, then we're going to have a premium pass, which means I think it's going to be $50. And then you have free access to all those 50 speakers, plus a bunch of other um, resources as well. One of the things we're going to do is set up a Bible reading club as part of this. People are going to have the opportunity
opportunity to sign up. And we're going to do a virtual read through the Bible in a year with a catechism kind of a thing. And I know people get overwhelmed, but this way we're going to try and set it up and maybe get a couple hundred people that want to do that together. And it's going to be a part of the conference. So we're looking forward to it. It's going to, the title of it is Take and Read. This is what St. Augustine, when he was the pagan, that's the words that came into his mind, take and read. And he picked up the Bible and began to read. And then the subtitle is take and read and a journey into the Bible. That's what we're going to call it. So watch my website. It'll be announced very boldly and clearly probably within the next week. Once we get the logos and everything made. Exciting stuff. Free conference. Yeah, it is exciting. Good stuff. So being born again, um, it's something that I I thought maybe if you got one more minute, we should address the issue of infant baptism. Oh, sure, please. Because those who oppose the idea of water baptism for our salvation, it's not water alone. I mean, I could take somebody who doesn't believe, pour water over them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that they're saved, born again, because they have to have the faith and the desire. Water baptism is called the sacrament of faith faith precedes it. You have to believe. You have to be committed. You have to confess with your mouth. You have to be willing to repent, to believe the gospel. And then you are baptized, and it not it symbolizes what's actually happening, and it actually does what it symbolizes. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, but then those same people that object to that will object to infant baptism from the very standpoint that the Bible says, Jesus said, you must believe and be baptized. And a baby can't believe. Baby right. can't do anything but gurgle and poop his diapers. So how can a baby, you baptize a baby? Well, the, the fact is, is that Jesus is referring to adult converts there because everybody that's coming in now is an adult. They're not it's not like families are now in the church and the next generation. When I came into the church, I had to be baptized. I had to believe, confess my to the priest, because I, I don't think I was ever baptized as a Baptist. Isn't that amazing? We're Baptists, but we didn't believe baptism did anything. And so I was baptized. And But Jesus' time, it was adults that are coming down to be baptized. It is adults. But he also says, let the little children come on to me. And when you get into the Gospels then, I mean, into the book of Acts and the epistles, you see that it says that so-and-so was baptized, him and his whole household. When Papa became a Christian, everybody became a Christian. Imagine now on Pentecost, the families come forward. These Jewish, only Jews were converted on the day of Pentecost. No Gentiles, they're all Jews. They had their phylacteries. They had their prayer shawls on. They had their tango, the down the side of their faces with beards they were all they were jews and they come to peter and said we want to receive this and peter said that's good we're going to baptize all of you but everybody under 13 years old get out of the line and the jewish father says what do you mean they get out of the line you said that this was for us the prophet joel said this was for us our young people our old people our the whole family so My son was circumcised at eight days. That's what brought him into the covenant people of God. You're now saying that baptism replaces circumcision, but I can't baptize my young man. I have to wait till he's 13. You said this was a better covenant. This isn't a better covenant. This is a worse covenant. Had they refused baptism to those Jewish families, those Jewish families would have walked away. And when you then look into the writings that all the families were baptized, all of them were. 
and then we learn from the early church i think it's um uh what's his name one of the earliest fathers of the church he says that we learned this from the apostles that we baptize old men and old women young men and even our infants this we have learned from the apostles so infant baptism is something that has been in the church from the very beginning and was never challenged until after the protestant revolt Right. And there's so many church fathers that speak about infant baptism. It's, yep. it's unanimous. Origin, it really is. I'm sorry. Origen was the early theologian who said that, I think in the second century, that's very early on. Okay. And we've, the tradition had, we've learned this from the apostles. They were only a generation ago. Right. We didn't start something new here. This is what we learned from them. Yep. So what we do today, we're just carrying on from the apostles themselves. Exactly. And in my book, just since we're talking about born again and baptism in my book, and I'll make a shameless plug here. Sure. The whole middle section of this book, the whole middle third of it is about baptism, born again, dealing with all the Bible verses we mentioned. And I go through the fathers of the church for the first 400 years and show what the early church believed. And the book for those listening, it's Crossing the Tiber. Yep, crossing tires. It's my conversion story. But and the last third is all about the Eucharist. Same thing. All the biblical passages and all the fathers of the church for the first 400 years. Those fathers of the church, they're the ones that made me Catholic. I tried to prove they're Protestants and I just couldn't do it. So did I. <laughs> I fought really hard. <laughs> all right, Steve. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate coming on again and check out his website, catholicconvert.com and check out that. We'll look forward to hearing more about that conference. It good. sounds great. Sounds good. Thank you very much, William. God bless yeah. you. God bless you too. Thank you.